Hello and welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. We have been studying in the letter to the Hebrews and we're currently in chapter 10. Um, we have kind of slowed down a little bit now that we've gotten to this particular section. Um, last time we looked at verses um, 26, 27, and 28 and uh, the last two lessons so um, it's interesting that we have kind of slowed down and and I don't really necessarily plan those things it's just that when I come to certain verses I believe that the Lord kind of leads me to say hey hold up spend a little more time in this area and it's interesting because it's not necessarily an area that I get excited about studying, but because uh, the Lord slowed me down, I have gotten very excited about this and it's, I've learned so much and that's how it is when I think when we study the word, uh, depending on where we are in our life, what our needs are, the Lord is able to use his word to accommodate, address and uh, lead us in the way that he would want us to go through his word. So it's really important. And I really encourage you to study the word on your own. I really am happy that we are studying this together, but there's so much that, uh, for us to see that the Lord wants to show us and it's through the study of his word. So I really encourage everyone to, um, Take advantage of setting aside time, just like you're doing now, to study the Word, and uh, you will get so much out of it. So this particular section that we're studying is about the wrath of God, and it's important for us to study these subjects, particularly this one, because it should be an, at the forefront of our minds as we interact with others uh, those who may be uh, unsaved, who may be unfamiliar with uh, the word and uh, living their lives in such a way that uh, apart from um, from God and they need to know and we need to understand how the wrath of God fits into his program, into the the program that uh, he has established and we should have a burden and concern for these ones because we know the wrath of God. And we know that there is, uh, for anyone who is walking in a way that would be contrary to the word, be it saved or unsaved, that there is a fearful looking forward of judgment. That's all that that individual has to look forward to. And it's important for us so that we walk in a way that is purposeful and glorifies the Lord Jesus for those of us who are saved and for those who are unsaved to understand the consequences, uh, uh, the danger is far greater for them. So it's good for us to study these things and to uh, understand them so that we can incorporate this knowledge into our personal walk as well as in our ministry uh, to others uh, because that's why we're here that's the purpose that God has us to to remain on the earth that's why we're not saved and immediately taken to heaven because we have a purpose uh, we're going to fulfill that purpose uh, in our lives and um, we have to be cognizant of that and I think it's important to have the word of God to train us and to show us, you know, how to do that. So hopefully that's what we're getting out of this, this particular study. And so I'm glad that we kind of slowed down a bit. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. Um, we left off on chapter 10, verse 27. So I'm going to go ahead and read, um, what we're going to be studying and then we'll kind of dive in starting in verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, he that despiseth Moses law died without mercy 
under two or three witnesses of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace for we know him that hath said vengeance belongeth unto me I will recompense saith the Lord and again the Lord shall judge his people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God so some of this may be familiar I know that some of these verses are familiar to me from um, from just studying in uh, in the past of uh, just literature but to come to where this is expressed uh, definitely in the Bible definitely brings a greater amount of light to what's being said here. So again, we're continuing the uh, revelation or the study about the wrath of God and how that God is consistent. I think a good title for this lesson is historical, the historical consistency of God as seen through his judgments. And if you study the Old Testament, you're going to see that over and over again, God tells the nation Israel, you're going to be judged. If you continue along this path, you're going to be judged throughout the law. He said, if you do this, if you do what's right and you're pleasing to to God, you're going to you're going to find blessing. You're going to find um, peace. You're going to find all these things that everyone desires. But he says also, if you don't do those things, you will be judged. And that is a testimony of the nation Israel. You know, when they were, they had a, a good king, a godly king that led them in the word and the truth. And they, you know, led them away from the, um, idol worship and the groves and uh, pointed them to the proper worship as it was given by God through the Levitical priesthood and the tabernacle. Whenever they had a uh, king like that, a leader, you see that they're blessed. They're, they're in the land and, you know, things are going well and uh, it's very positive. But whenever they had a ruler or leader who led them away from God and led them into idolatry or, you know, all the things that we see recorded in scripture, then judgment came. And unfortunately, that's why the nation Israel doesn't exist as it did back then. That's why we see so many nations have come in and ransack that country and the only reason that it remains is because god has willed for it to remain in existence um, so that is definitely a reoccurring theme historically and here the uh, writer to the hebrew people who would be very aware of this um, at the time that this letter was written rome had already um, kind of taken over the world and they were under Roman government. And it wouldn't be long after that, that the, uh, after this letter was written, that the final temple will be destroyed and um, they would be dispersed from that land. So um, <clears throat> clearly this is God being consistent. And if you look at it, you can also see it as man being consistent because we are consistently sinners and we consistently do what we should not do. We, we consistently disobey God, mankind as a whole. And God is faithful. He says, I'm going to judge you if you do this and he will judge. There is no escaping that because God is faithful. He's consistent and he's going to do 
everything that he says that he will do. So the, the positive part of that for those of us who are saved is, hey, we're redeemed. We know that we can fall into the, the hands of a, a redemptive God. But those who are unsaved, well, they're going to fall into different hands. Same God, but in different hands. So um, let's uh, dive into this and see what it is that we can uh, glean from this study, starting from verse 28. Um, the, the writer uses a reference to establish the wrath of God, the consistency of God and the faithfulness of God by pointing back. And that's been a, a tool that's been used throughout this letter because there is so much history that the Hebrew people have with God. The writer is able to draw on that history. Uh, and be able to point back so that to establish the current truth, to show that it's the same God. Uh, it's a new covenant. Uh, we have a new relationship, but it's the same God, the same person, and the same characteristics. In verse 28, he um, looks back and he says, he that despised Moses' law. Now it's called Moses' law because God gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai. And a lot of people, um, when they think about the law of God, they are Moses' law, they think about the Ten Commandments. But actually, the whole law that Moses received beyond the first Ten Commandments were over 600 laws. So the law is pretty in-depth, and the study of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, will, will show just how many laws there are, and there's over 600 of them. And this is commonly known as Moses' Law. And it's, 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 it just goes to show the position, the effect that Moses had on the people as their first great leader. And, uh, you know, say what you will about Moses, but he was a great leader for the people, a great example. And he carried the burden of the people. And that's why he said, one day there's one that's going to come like me. And we know that that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, like Moses, he has become the leader of the people of God and the example, the compassion, the love that Moses displayed towards the people. Um, now we see it in Christ even more so. And uh, so that's why it's referred to as Moses's law. And in that law, the writer makes the point that saying that if you were to transgress any part of that law, that um, you were, you died, first of all. So the law of Moses was associated not with life, but with death. That's what they asked for. The people said, hey, if you give us a law, we'll follow it. Now, before that, they had the God himself leading them by day and by night. They had a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They said, you know, that's good and everything, but we'd do better if we had a law because the people that they came in contact with as they moved through the, the wilderness, they had laws. And like, if you gave us a law, then we wouldn't have to depend on this pillar of cloud by day and fire by night we could just go by the law and you wouldn't have to you know be here to watch over us well god gave them what they asked for but this law never did anything to uh, bring life it actually brought death so it says here that he that despises moses law died so anybody who disobeyed this law would die and they would die in a certain way, it says, and 
they died without mercy because the law has no mercy. The law is just righteousness. It is what is right. And what is right is it's black and white. There's no gray area in it. Either you did what was right or you did what was wrong. Either you were for the law and you followed this law and you obeyed or you disobeyed. You transgressed this law and there was no mercy there. You know, there was only judgment. And this is the fate of anyone who dies apart from Christ. Christ is the manifestation of God's grace and mercy. And for anyone else, anyone who dies outside of that, they have nothing to look forward to other than judgment. So it's very interesting that the writer uses this reference because it paints a very clear picture of what it's like to live and to die apart from Christ, right? Um, you only have his righteousness um, and his judgment. And that's typified in the past in the law. And that's a, I was given to instruct us so that we would understand and know that this is the way God operates. That's why the law was given, so that we would understand his righteousness and just how that works and how it's applied. And it says that uh, if you despise Moses' law, you died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Now, this is referring to a specific um, verse that uh, is in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy 19, actually, and I'm going to read that because that's what it's referring to here. So uh, let me let me give me a moment here to pull it up in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. It says, uh, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. So here we see a, um, uh, a provision in the, uh, the law that says that one person can't just come and accuse you of some sin, that there has to be multiple witnesses uh, in order to do that. But that's all that was required. You had two or three witnesses uh, that uh, testified against you, then uh, you were stoned. You were stoned to death. That's not mercy. That's righteousness. It's right, but there's no there's no mercy there. There's only judgment. And so the writer here is referring to that characteristic of the law as it reflects the righteousness of God and his the way that he judges. Right. Uh, he's making a point to say, hey, look, this is not new. What I'm telling you about this fearful looking forward of judgment and fire indignation, this is not new. This is the same God that has manifested his righteousness in the past. Well, Jesus is the same way. And the judgment that's going to come from those to those who die apart from Jesus, they're going to receive this same type of judgment without mercy. And it's not anything to look forward to. You know, it's something that we have to keep in mind and we have to be able to express that. And I think a lot of times, you know, it's easier to tell people about the love of Christ, his grace, his mercy, and how that he wants to save them. And all of that's true. And I feel like that um, that part of the gospel message has been exaggerated to the point to where we miss the this part of it. The part that talks about the consequences of rejecting this grace. 
that we miss that. And we focus a lot on the love of God and, 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 you know, all of that's wonderful. And a lot of people respond to that. But if you don't include the righteousness of God and the judgment that is to come as a result of that righteousness, then we do a disservice. We're not really preaching the gospel message. I think it's very important not I love the fact that the writer has turned away from, you know, all these wonderful things about the high priest and the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made on our behalf. They're wonderful. I mean, they're amazing. But the writer here also understands that the complete message includes the wrath of God and God's judgment, because uh, here we see that reference being made. And in verse 28, he references verse in Deuteronomy to establish the fact that this is the same God. We serve the same God. It's a new covenant, a new relationship. We have greater access, but it's the same God. And we need to be witnessing to others the same way. We need to give the complete story, not only the grace and salvation, but what are you being saved from? From this judgment, from dying um, without mercy, entering into a judgment that is without mercy. And a lot of people talk about rights. You know, I want justice. I have rights and I want justice. When it comes to God, you don't want justice because the just and right thing is for you to go to hell in the lake of fire before your sin. So we don't want justice. We want grace. And that's the picture we have to paint and make people to see. I think when we minister is that it's not only that the grace of God exists, it's that you need the grace of God. Why? Because otherwise, you will die and enter into judgment without mercy. So verse 29, it says, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant uh, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. So now we're going to see a building upon this fact. The fact is that um, in the law of Moses, uh, you would die without mercy under two or three witnesses. So now we have in Hebrews moved to a different position or amount of revelation from God. Now we not only have a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke, we don't just have a tabernacle that was made, an earthly tabernacle that reflected what was in heaven, that was a you know reflection or um, mirrored what was in heaven, but was on earth as an access point to God. We've moved beyond that. We don't just have a law that says, do this, don't do that. We don't have the blood of bulls and goats as sacrifices to point to something else. We have Jesus. We don't just have the son of God, right? We don't have just the son of man. We have Jesus. We have a person who that we can have a personal, close relationship with these people many of these people who this letter was written to knew him they knew his family they had uh, heard him speak some of them maybe even had conversations with him so they knew him as jesus very personal now we have that access to god through christ to know him in this very intimate way so the writer is making the point to say if in the past under the old covenant where we had 
um, limited access to God. This was true. This is how judgment worked then. Now in verse 29, he's saying, how much more sore the punishment if we, in the age that we live in, disregard the word of God, disregard the son of God, how much more sore the punishment. So we got to look at this. I mean, that makes perfect sense because we do live in a time where we have so much more knowledge. We, we have been given an understanding through books like Daniel and the book of Revelation and subsequent other uh, verses and books that uh, support the whole picture of why the Lord Jesus came, the purpose of the church. The church was a mystery prior to now. Back in this, in the old uh, covenant, uh, when the, the law of Moses was given, they didn't know anything about the church. That was a mystery. That's something that they, the prophets would prophesy about, but they didn't truly understand. It's like, this is what the Lord said, but they didn't truly understand what that was referring to, the scope of, the, of, of this church age, of this uh, first coming of Christ and then the second coming. Uh, they didn't truly grasp that. They just proclaimed what God told them. Now we, we understand that. We see that. We've been given that full understanding. And we also understand um, the tribulation period. We know about the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth and then the eternal state. We have all of this information. So to have all of this information, all of this knowledge, and to disregard it, to live our lives in a way that doesn't have Jesus at the forefront every day, well, that is, that's a sin that merits sore punishment. That's an evil to disregard Jesus Christ. That's evil for us not to have uh, Jesus as a part of our society, as a part of our lives, as a part of our world. It is a gross, dark evil. And in doing so, the only thing we have to look forward to is punishment. That's why it's so important for us as believers to always put Christ first, to be mindful of who he is and what he's done for us. There's a challenge. We have uh, the threefold dangers for, for every believer, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These three things work tirelessly to distract us from Christ. But the good thing is, is that we have God the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So we're without excuse. God has bound himself to us through his spirit. And all we need to do is to walk in that spirit to feed the spirit, to feed the spiritual part of ourselves and to, to really feast upon these spiritual things. And we become very powerful. We, we have armor that we can wear, you know, the whole armor of Christ. And, you know, I would love to do a study on that, but we have the helmet of salvation breastplate of righteousness, girding our loins with the preparation uh, of the gospel, uh, having our feet shod. Um, we have all of these pieces of the armor to uh, protect us from those fiery darts that fly constantly at us. We have that and we need to wear that armor. We need it's uncomfortable. We have to be purposeful in putting it on every day, but it's very important that we wear it.
And a lot of times, you know, we're in settings where wearing the armor will make us a bit awkward, right? Because, you know, everybody wants to be able to relax and to be around other people comfortably. But, you know, we don't have that luxury at times. We need to have that armor on. It's better for us to feel um, awkward and uncomfortable wearing that armor, right, than to be comfortable with those who don't have it on. Because what will happen is you'll notice that while you're wearing that armor, it'll make other people who don't have their armor on feel a bit awkward and uncomfortable. And that's okay. It's better to be uncomfortable in the armor and protect it than to be uncomfortable outside of that armor and unprotected. So we have this revelation and because of this revelation, because of this greater knowledge, there is a greater penalty uh, of punishment for those who transgress this knowledge. And that's what we're going to see here in verse 29. The writer says of how much sore punishment suppose you like, you know, it just makes sense. This is logical. How much more sore punishment, suppose ye, shall be thought worthy. Okay, so in other words, in, in non-old English speak, so aren't, wouldn't, logically speaking, if in the Old Testament people died, and entered into you know judgment under the witness of only two or three witnesses that now that we have a greater knowledge wouldn't you suppose that those people who um, do the things that are about to be listed would be worthy of greater punishment it just makes sense well what are these things that people do well it says who have trodden underfoot the son of God. So what does that mean to trod underfoot the son of God? It basically means for Jesus to be tossed to the ground and for people to just walk all over him. And can you imagine that? Could you imagine um, a homeless person who was laying on the side of the road, on the sidewalk, and rather than people walking around them, which they do and ignore them, they just walked all on top of them. They just stepped all over them. That is disrespect. That is a high form of disrespect. And to think that the son of God would be disrespected on that level. And that's what we do. That's what the world does. That's how the world treats the son of God. With the utmost disdain and disrespect. They curse using his name, use his name in vain all the time, um, have no regard for his word, his truth, his people. It's like, hey, man, I got my life to live and it's about me and what I need to accomplish. And I don't want to have anything to do with this Jesus and you, you Christian people. It's unfortunate. It's sad that we live in a world that Jesus came to, to redeem, to manifest himself, manifested himself in a way that the whole world knew about Jesus. The entire first he came to his people and then they went out and they ministered to the entire world. Now, thousands of years later, his story is known, but people just don't care. They just trot underfoot. And the thing that's interesting is that that's common. That's considered the norm. It's very unfortunate. But what do you expect when you do that? Judgment. Judgment. And the next thing it says, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. So what does that mean? Well, the key to all that Jesus did and accomplished is found in his shed blood. The blood of Christ 
is so important. It's so uh, pivotal that uh, literally it is the most valuable thing that could ever exist apart from Jesus himself. That's how important the blood of the covenant is. And it says that they have, by which he was sanctified, um, what does that mean to, by which he was sanctified? Well, when Jesus came as a man, he lived a perfect life of righteousness. And he became the fulfillment of all the sacrifices that were types of him. Because he died on behalf of his people to redeem and save people. His blood is what was is is the sanctifying agent for you know himself and for all those he came to save and it says that people uh the judgment is because people have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing holiness means to be set apart but to disregard when you're told that the blood of Christ is the only hope of your salvation, for you to disregard that and to uh, relegate it as, you know, nothing, you take away from the glory, the majesty of Christ and what he has accomplished, what he has done as God on behalf of men who are undeserving. For you to look over that and to go, you know, whatever, I'm not interested. That is to count that blood as an unholy thing. Um, and that is tragic. That is tragic. Uh, the blood shed by Jesus Christ is the most precious and powerful thing that exists other than Christ himself. One drop of his blood is enough to deliver a countless multitude of sinners. The blood of Christ is valuable beyond description. Um, to make that point, if you could ask the soul that is in hell suffering the torment that people in hell suffer. Uh, that man or woman, uh, that man or woman who in this life had, may have had like great wealth and power, access to anything that they wanted. You know, nowadays, the, the age we live in, people can become millionaires by accident. Um, and by becoming a millionaire, you have access to whatever the world has to offer. And we've seen these people. We, Some of these people have been very honest about their lives. They're like, hey, I can have anything I want. Uh, and, I, and I enjoy having whatever I want. But there's still something missing. But if you were to ask a person like that who died and went to hell, who had that kind of access, uh, while they're in hell, they're just awaiting judgment, the final judgment of um, the lake of fire and being placed in eternal darkness where there will be screaming and gnashing of teeth. Um, if you were able to talk to them, okay, if you were able to interview them, they would tell you that the blood of Christ to them would be more valuable than anything that they ever experienced or had in this life. Um, its value really can't be understood against the price paid for not having it in eternity. So you really have to understand the consequence of not having the blood of Christ before you can really understand the value that the blood of Christ has. For those of us who have been saved, we don't have to go to hell in the lake of fire to understand that value. It's been revealed to us 
the truth of hell and the lake of fire has been revealed to us and the consequence of sin to a point to where we have cried out to God to say, please deliver us. What must we do to be saved? And we have, by the grace of God, been given faith and salvation through the Lord Jesus. So we know this value. We understand this. But ignorance does not absolve those who trodden this blood underfoot, who trodden God underfoot and count this blood of the covenant as an unholy thing. Ignorance is no excuse. That's why it's important for those of us who understand and know this to minister to those who don't and to understand the consequences that await them and to uh, make them to know what it is that God has done for us. Not because we are responsible to save these people, because we're not. God has never told any person to save another person. Salvation is something that God does. That's his work. All we have to do is witness to that salvation. Be witnesses and testify to the truth of it. And God will use that witness and testimony through the gospel to save others. So it's very important to understand the consequences, the terrible consequences of um, trotting underfoot the Son of God, uh, counting the blood of the covenant as the new covenant that uh, is in his blood uh, as an unholy thing. Uh, and also it says, and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. What does that mean? To do despite unto the spirit of grace. Well, the Lord Jesus is not here anymore. He is in heaven, exalted through the heavens, seated uh, in his role as high priest for those of us who are saved. So, you know, you can disrespect and dishonor God in your life. Yes. But you're dishonoring him on earth while he is in heaven. Still a terrible thing to do. And it has consequences, right? And you can consider the blood of Christ and his sacrifices unimportant of no value. You can do that. And it still merits um, punishment and it's still going to merit the wrath of God. But the one thing that you can do now that's significant is to despite, to do despite unto the spirit of grace. Because God the Holy Spirit's witness and testimony is in us, those of us who are saved. And the ministry and the power of God the Holy Spirit can be seen in the lives of believers, can be felt in the ministry, in the proclamation of the gospel, can be known. And whether you realize it or not, if you are ministering the gospel to someone, if you're ministering about the Lord Jesus to someone, um, the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, is empowering that ministry, is empowering the Word of God. And for someone to despise that and to reject that ministry of God the Holy Spirit, that grace, the grace in Christ as manifested in God the Holy Spirit, well, there's only, to, dis to do that, there's only a fearful looking forward to of judgment and fiery indignation. This is uh, the consequence of dying apart from Christ. Yes, there are many sins that will be called uh, to remembrance for those who, who die apart from the Lord Jesus. 
But these three things are consistent and kind of overarching uh, things that will result in this unimaginable punishment. Those three things being to disregard Jesus and his, his body, to disregard the blood of the covenant, and to despise the spirit of grace in rejecting the offer of salvation. These are the basic truths that will result in not only hell and eternal damnation, but um, a much sore punishment, as said in verse 29. Much so. So basically, those who die apart from God in this new age, the age of uh, the New Testament uh, and the revelation that we have, they're going to have much greater punishment than the worst person you can find who died in the Old Testament apart from God. Pharaoh, we know Pharaoh was a pretty bad guy. Um, and he uh, opposed God and at every turn. And it says that he continued to harden, or God hardened his heart continually uh, towards uh, his truth. And Pharaoh would do better in hell and the lake of fire than just a common guy who lives in the age that we live in. So it's very important to understand that God is consistent and that he is righteous and he is going to do right in every way. Um, and the it doesn't stop there. The, the uh, writer here continues to establish these truths. He's like, well, not, not only that, but let's continue to look at the Old Testament scriptures and understand the consistency of the judgment that and the wrath of God uh, in judgment. In verse 30, for we know him that has said, vengeance unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. So, He's establishing this argument of the responsibility of man to God and the consequence for those who um, disregard the Lord Jesus and all that he's done on behalf of man. And he's kind of tying it all together with this uh, reference to a verse in Deuteronomy 32 uh, 35 through 43. And he takes from that verse and it, where it says, uh, for we know him that hath said, and in Deuteronomy, he says, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense. Um, that's pretty straightforward. There's no wishy-washy gray area there. There's black and white. He's saying vengeance belongeth unto me. You do not want to be on the side of God's vengeance. But guess what? Those who disregard his offer of grace, who count the thing, the wonderful things that the Lord Jesus has accomplished on behalf of mankind as nothing, well, they only have a fearful expectation of facing an angry God full of vengeance. And the picture is that all of those acts are provoking God. The, those who live a life apart from salvation are constantly provoking the anger of God. By disrespecting him, by not recognizing him for who he is, what would you expect? What would you expect God to do? A righteous God. There's going to be consequences for that. And we need to share that information with, with others. We need to minister to them 
from a place of love and concern uh, and, and understanding that we at one time were in the very same place that they're in and we walked in darkness. But once we were shown this great light, we saw a difference. We saw God. We saw God in Christ. We saw grace, love, and mercy. And we need to understand that they need to know God that way. And we have an opportunity to minister to people to make them to see through God the Holy Spirit's ministry in us and the way we live our lives, we can minister to people in that way. Because there is a consequence. Apart from them being saved, there's a very sad uh, consequence. They will, they will meet God in a way that um, is very unpleasant. Um, for example, uh, in um, it's uh, detailed in the um, book of Revelation where it talks about the great white throne judgment. And this is the fate of all who die apart from the grace of God and salvation. That they will um, have to face this kind of, of judgment, this, this um, great white throne judgment. And it is not anything, none of the details that are given are uh, pleasant, right? It's not something that um, anybody should look forward to. It says that there are books that are going to be open. There's going to be two witnesses against at that time. All the hell is going to give up all its dead, everybody who's in hell at the time will be released and they're going to be waiting in line to stand before the Lord Jesus at this great white throne. And there'll be two witnesses there uh, that will witness against them. So we see the consistency of the word of God throughout. One is going to be the Lamb's book of life. And in that book will be everyone who has been redeemed and saved. And so that will witness against them because their name will not be in it. And they says that there's other books open. And all of these other books are going to detail every sin that they've committed for their entire life. And there'll be several books for those who live the long life. For those who live the short life, it won't be as many books. But those books will testify against them. And each one of those sins will compound the judgment that they will, they will experience. Now, hell is just a holding place. Everybody who goes there experiences the same uh, judgment, the same torment as they await the lake of fire. The lake of fire will be a situation where, depending on where you are in that lake, will determine the degree of judgment. That's the final judgment, the righteous judgment. So, um, you know, somebody who just lived their life and never was saved, they're going to be judged. And the degree of uh, the temperature and the degree of torment that they feel is going to be commensurate to the what's in those books, right? Let's just say a million degrees. They're going to burn in hell in the lake of fire for me at a million degrees for eternity. Well, you got somebody like Hitler who, you know, did some even, you know, worse sin, worse types of things to people. Well, then there's going to be judgment commensurate to what he did. He said, okay, for all the things you did, it's going to be a, the righteous judgment for you is a billion degrees uh, Fahrenheit. You're going to be over here in the same lake, but you're going to experience a much greater torment. And so that's the principle that's being set forth here is that God has judgment 
that is commensurate to the crimes, to the sins against him. And that it says, vengeance belongeth unto me. That means it's not us. It doesn't belong to us. You know, it's not me. I'm not worthy to judge someone uh, like that because, you know, I, I don't, I'm not righteous. I'm not God. I don't have the purity and perfections of God. So I can't do that. And that's what, when people say you shouldn't judge people, that's what that means. We can't judge people unto hell and the lake of fire, but we can make determinations as to if they're living their life apart from Christ or not. That is not the same kind of judgment. So the final judgment is in God's hands. He says, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense. And don't miss the fact that it says, I will recompense. There's no maybe there. This recompense will happen. There is no avoiding it. It will happen because God says, that it will and that he will be the one that does it and it says i will recompense saith the lord and again the lord shall judge his people so it's really important to see this part because judgment is not just for the unsaved god judges his people in fact we have a greater amount of responsibility as the children of God, as saved people, because of the greater amount of knowledge that we have. We do know that it's a fearful thing to fall into his hands. We know the fearful looking forward to of judgment and fire indignation which shall devour the adversaries. We know this. There's not a, hmm, is that true or not? I'm not sure. God the Holy Spirit confirms with our spirit that we are the children of God and the truth of his word. So we know this. So it's very important for us to walk in a way that honors our Savior and honors the revelation that he's given us, the truths that he shared with us. And finally, in verse 31, it says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's true for the unsaved and for the saved. For Ananias and Sapphira, two Christian people who um, lied about this sum of money, misrepresented it altogether, God took them out. They were believers. God's judgment was swift, immediate, and very clear and established uh, a very important truth to all of us who are believers, that God will judge his people, that we're responsible to the word of God. And when we learn something and something's revealed to us, that we're responsible to walk in the light of that truth. Very important. But it all, we can't miss the part that it, where it says the Lord shall judge. He will judge. So he's going he's gonna to have vengeance against the adversaries and he will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So it's important for us to understand that, to make that a part of our ministry to others, and to keep it at the forefront of our minds that we have a responsibility, a great responsibility to serve and to honor and glorify our God because the unsaved are not doing that. And he deserves to be glorified. He's done so much for us, even at this very moment, ministering to us and protecting us and building us up. So prayerfully, this uh, study of the wrath of God has been um, helpful. I know it's been helpful to me. I pray that uh, the Lord would use these things to build us up, to make us better servants, and that we would keep in at the forefront of our mind the need of those who are unsaved, and that it would be an impetus for us to witness to them. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for 
revealing these things about your faithfulness, your consistency, the wrath that is a part of who you are and your perfections. And thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, the high priest we have that has redeemed us and delivered us from that wrath and placed us on a path of eternal salvation with you. The words cannot express um, how wonderful that is, but we have eternity to thank you and to, uh, to spend glorifying you for all that you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.